Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to episode 35 of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And today we're going to kind of go all Jerry Maguire and talk about show me the money of the cloud computing and cloud computing cost. And so today we're excited to have Matt Ellis, CEO of Cloudability, uh, come on the show today. Matt, welcome aboard. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. So um, give us some background on Cloudability. I, I had written a, um, I'd written a blog a couple of weeks ago, you know, looking at all these neat new services that were sort of uh, on demand around different aspects of cloud management, and I came across Cloudability. Um, you guys are doing very, very well. Give us some background on how the company got started, what you guys target, what's you know what what's the company passionate about? What do you, what value do you bring? Yeah, well, um, you know, uh, all of us have got a background very entrepreneurial. None of us ever went to university, um, always scrambling in uh, various uh, uh, kind of enterprises like that. And uh, a few years back, in the middle of the recession. Uh, I decided to return to Portland, Oregon, where my wife comes from. Uh, we had a couple of kids. Yep. And, uh, do my own thing so we could live in Portland. And uh, to pay the bills, I uh, did a little cloud consulting. And uh, when we got people onto the cloud, they all had the same questions. How much am I spending? What am I spending it on? And what's a gigabyte month? So it felt a bit bad charging people a few hundred bucks an hour to download a CSV file. And I set up a little system to go grab the bills automatically and kind of munch them into an easy-to-read form and send them an email. And I forgot about the system, and a year later, it broke. Something went wrong with it. And within a week, every single user had called or written to say, where's my report, where's my report? So that was in October of 2010, and uh, it was pretty exciting to see that people were all over this. We dug a little deeper, um, had a look at it, and uh, was all ready to go all in. But I had a baby due early January, and uh, one of my two co-founders had twins due in March, So we kind of carried on with our life for six months, and the day after uh, JR gave birth to his twins, uh, we started the company, and the timing was very fortuitous, I think. If we'd started in October, we probably would have been a little too early. So uh, John Frisbee, our third co-founder, joined us in early May, uh, moved into my house for eight months, and uh, we launched our private beta in August, our public beta in November, with about 350 users, and uh, we've been doubling our user count every month since, with just over 2,000 users in about 70 countries managing about 50 million dollars of cloud spending today. Wow, that's that's so that's that's fantastic. So so it spawned out of uh, you doing consulting for people that were uh, either were they was it SaaS applications they were using or they were putting things into Amazon's cloud or or, or Google's was, clouds or it was you know forward thinking companies that were saying hey what's this cloud thing and let's do a project on the cloud and reaching out for some help to avoid mistakes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, technology companies typically. Right. So, um, so you, like you said, you guys have been in business now for you know, depending on when you you officially start for you know less than a year, over two thousand customers. Um, people must believe they you know they're they're saving money because of this. It gives them insight. What are you seeing about these early customers and their usages of cloud? How are they? You know, what's what's any trends you're seeing? Is it is it types of their business? Is it is it a, a problem they're trying to solve? What what sort of unique insight do you get because you're seeing how much they're using it, how much they're spending? Well, we spend a lot of time wandering around in our data, so to speak, and there's some pretty clear trends already. And most unsurprising one is that most of the big spenders on the public cloud are technology companies. Okay. There are really big non-technology companies who've got private clouds, but public cloud is technology companies today. 
Uh, but there's some less obvious insights. For example, um, BRICS countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China, are really enthusiastically bracing the cloud. And our BRICS customer base is already about half the size of our European one, which is quite a surprise. And Brazil is especially cloud savvy. Um, another interesting trend is watching customers learn how to use the cloud. Uh, when we ask them what's happening, it's usually the same story. There's a, a group that does a foundation project, either in support with the support of the executives or in some back room somewhere. And then we watch a spend creep up to just a few thousand bucks a month. They go live, it jumps. And then a few months later, we see a big jump in the spend, and it kind of gets a bit erratic. And uh, this is as the org switches from being cloud skeptics to cloud believers. Okay. And then one last tidbit to share is what people are actually using. Uh, we expected to see some services up right up there, but their usage is much less than we expected. We built those integrations early on, and no one's using them, and vice versa. It seems that pretty much everybody has either a new Relic account or a MailChimp account. Okay. Which is kind of odd. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, what's, what was interesting, and this is, you know, kind of how I found out about, about CloudAbility was, you know, I was out looking at a, a bunch of companies um, – and some of some of them we've had on the podcast. So we've had people like in Stratus on the show. And we've had uh, who does um, you know cloud management, how to deploy uh, clouds, how to deploy applications, and so forth. Had a similar start to what you did. We've talked to people like Cloud Passage who do like uh, managed firewalls and security and so forth. And and the thing that's really interesting to me, especially when you compare it to you know what would what would typically be considered kind of traditional IT management things are. Um, you're able to do what you do in a very modular way. You're able to sort of solve specific problems, not have to build these big monolithic, you know, CA, BMC kind of kind of systems. Can you see, you know, in talking to your customers who are who are using cloud, can you see them ever wanting to, to move back to that sort of model, or is that stuff pretty much dead if you're if you're talking about public cloud environments? Well, it took a long time, a decade or more, for the uh, monoliths to emerge in the last cycle. Um, and history shows that your average Commonwealth Garden market incumbent doesn't react well to disruption. You look right. at like yeah, Microsoft, Apple, for instance. So I'd be surprised if they do successfully adapt, although I have been surprised at how clearly companies like BMC seem to recognize that everything's going to change. Yep. Um, so one thing that needs to emerge before monoliths can exist is it needs to be very clear what actually needs to be done. And only then can they really bring their scale into play. Right. So there may be some amazing minds out there who can foresee exactly where we're going to be in five to ten years. I'm thinking Simon Wardy there, for instance. Exactly. The rest of us are still trying to figure out the basics. And uh, I think um, outside of academia, for example, who'd ever heard of cloud analytics a few years ago? Right. So, but eventually, we always end up with a few big players and a ton of much smaller niche players. And so, yes, eventually, I think we will see a new set of giant dominant companies in the space. And in the meantime, there's going to be a lot of rushing around as everyone has fun trying to figure out the best way to use this amazing tool. Yeah, and, and you know, especially in your case, you guys are, are learning stuff that you know other people are off you know thinking about and pondering, and you guys are getting real time feedback from customers. You're getting real time, you yeah. know, way, ways to improve the product and, and so yeah. forth, which is very very possible. So so talk about so you, like you said, this sort of started off as a a way to automate spreadsheets, right? And and that, I don't I don't mean that that didn't come across <laughs> the right way, but but it was you know your your customers are typically going to keep track of their cost in some sort of spreadsheet or accounting model. You are helping them you know pull the data, simplify it. But what's what's interesting you know for for the people that that care about the technology? What's interesting for the technology around your space? Is it really about making that 
that user interface extremely simple. Um, I mean, like I, I've signed up for your service. It was incredibly easy to get signed up. There, there had there was almost like no friction to do it. It, it was. Uh, it reminded me of signing up for Netflix. Is it about making that part right, or is it about making the back end technology so that you guys really are able to do, uh, you know, a level of analytics and understanding of of how to help your customers? What's to, as you guys are building your service, what part of it's more more impactful, more uh, more challenging? So we set out initially to make um, to make it easy to understand what you're doing on the cloud. Okay. And typically, I don't know about you, but I get lots of email. I got a few seconds to scan my email, and our goal was to make it easy to scan your email and quickly see whether you needed to stop and pay attention to the costs. Okay. And I think we've kind of achieved that. I think as we go forward, we're going to continue to make it easy to communicate the um, the costs. But where we're headed now, I don't want to say too much, lest we give sure. away secret source, but it's tremendously exciting uh, space. On the one hand, we're dealing with humongous quantities of data, and analyzing all of that is going to be a quite interesting challenge. Um, plus, our goal is to put in some put some mind-blowing analytic tools into our customers' hands to help them truly deeply understand not just what they did on the cloud, but what they should have done and what they should do in the future. Okay. So our, our most advanced users, they're like us, they're data geeks. Yep. And it reminds me, years ago, when I was working at Pepsi, we had a bunch of guys on the floor. Um, there were like seven of them. And they had a six-week process called the Annual Operating Plan. And they sent these spreadsheets all over Europe. And they had a few tabs. And it was like, you know, how many potatoes did you waste last year? And what's your return rate? And things like this. And they fill in the gaps. And this team of accountants would absorb all the sheets together and, and produce the plan for the next three years. Right. And this was all a manual process. So as a computer consultant, I automated the process. I made the data come in automatically with data checks, things like this. And four years later, there was a whole floor of accountants, 40 of them. They spent nine months analyzing all this data from all over the region because now we'd cured the collation, band, the collation problem, mm -hmm. allowed them to scale to analyzing the actual information. Right. So right. that's our goal. Our next goal is to remove all barriers to understanding and allow almost, like, I foresee this space becoming almost like finance. Um, I, I, I have a career before Pepsi in banking. There's a lot of stuff you do in derivatives and equity trading right. that's trying to kind of balance, make the optimum decision. And I think that's where we're going to end up in the cloud analytics space, and we hope to play a major role in that. Okay. Um, then um, there's some other stuff we've got interesting. We've got to teach the computers to do a lot of this so that humans are only doing the really interesting things. So, for example, we think we can correlate certain types of behavior with potentially large overages in the future. Okay. Kind of like a FICO score for the cloud. Yep. And so in future, you'll be able to spend more time focusing on the groups who are most likely to overspend or waste than on trying to stay on top of everything. Sure. So yeah, I won't say too much. <laughs> okay. But uh, it's, it's really exciting. And if you're a data geek, uh, this is the space to be in right now. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, you know, without, you know, you mentioned you guys obviously are, are, are innovating like crazy new new sort of features and functionalities are coming out. I'm, I'm curious, without giving away where you guys are going, um, as I talk to um, certain 
certain providers. So uh, we've talked to the folks at, at Switch who run one of the you know the massive data center in Las Vegas that has a ton of, of cloud customers there, um, Equinox or Equinix. And what we what we see from some of those guys is they say, look, you know, one of the values that we bring is that when we have these communities of of companies that are doing somewhat similar things, and it could be you know Pepsi is there and a technology company and a manufacturing company, but they're all trying to you know build better web presences or whatever. Do they come to you and say, look, um, uh, you know, c- can we learn from each other? Are, there, are you seeing those requests from your customers that are these early, early adopter customers that want to learn, you know, kind of within the cloudability community? Do you hear that request quite a bit? Yeah. Actually, uh, we uh, uh, host private invitation-only meetings between customers okay. who are similar and non-competitive to share insights, tools, and experiences. Okay. Very cool. So if you're a cloudability customer, um, even if you're a small one, if we think you're interesting, uh, from time to time you'll get an invite to one of these Skype meetings and, 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 and talk to other people like you. And there's a lot of value in networking that community. And it kind of plays to the idea that in the future there'll be a couple of very large public utility clouds, but lots of niche ones, sure. like a media one and a legal one and a movie one and things like this, where the tools and the, and the uh, uh, poise, uh, the, the stance from the support is all suitable for that particular type of company. Okay, so this idea of sort of community-based clouds is is uh, is, is sort of alive in, in the early stages. Okay, very cool. So, you know, uh, you talked a little bit about you know the, um, some of the non-technology companies using private clouds, and uh, a lot of the sort of forward-looking companies are using public clouds, and and that tends to create sometimes some FUD in the marketplace, whether it's you know, by the legacy technology vendors sort of trying to tell folks, you know, don't, don't go there or you, you know, you have a, an outage and it scares people. Um, you guys have a lot of, uh, a lot of expertise in this space, especially around, obviously around costs and so forth. How do you talk to new customers about cost? I mean, what's the, where's this, how's the discussion start? What are the key things that you're typically telling them where, where it's like, you need to be aware of these types of costs that, that you may not have thought about before, you know, whether it's a network and bandwidth kind of thing or it's a, you know, how do you measure um, number of I.O. What, what's the cost conversation, especially early in the days when people don't understand the space very well? And before palatability as a cloud consultant, this was even more prominent in what we had to do. Um, there really is a lot of smoke in the room when it comes to costs. Um, the most common theme is ignoring um, some benefits that the cloud give or undercounting your true cost for on-premise systems. Mm-hmm. A simple example is there's a lead time to um, expanding your on-premise systems and a lead time to downgrading them when you're running them down at the end of life. Sure. And people don't take that cost into account. All they do is they compare the same number of nodes running on the cloud all the time as if you just bought them. Right. Um, and it can be a really sensitive area. In particular, when we are introduced to a cloud cynical group by a cloud enthusiast, as a way of trying to win them over. Gotcha. And this is very similar to the switch between mini computers to PCs in the early 90s. As a young programmer, I remember meeting a lot of skepticism from the Unix types and the mainframe types that we could ever do anything with Microsoft Access and Windows. Mm-hmm. It was a toy, that it wasn't enterprise grade. So um, our general approach is to emphasize that the cloud isn't optional. It's coming in some form or other you're going to have a shared tenancy system where you don't own the computer and pretty much you need to be able to scale out infinitely rather than just get a bigger box or a bigger Oracle license. That This move is going to be evolutionary, not revolutionary. There's a ton of existing infrastructure out there that's not going anywhere soon. Right. 
that cost control is mandatory, that your project will fail without it unless it's insignificant in size. And that just like the migration from mainframes and minis to PCs, it's best to embrace and lean into it, let us help you. Gotcha. Particularly that message that it's evolutionary, not revolutionary, that tomorrow you're going to throw your computers out and you're all going to be unskilled in this new space. That's the one that seems to give the people who are most afraid of the new cloud uh, the most hope. But at the end of the day, there's always going to be a few people who are either very good at the old way or very conservative and they're just going to have to stay on what they've got and the rest of us will move forward. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, do you find, you know, one of the one of the neat functions within CloudAbility and, uh, th- that I've seen is, is you guys do a lot of proactive monitoring, a lot of proactive alerting to people. You're getting close to your budget levels. There was an unusual spike that was outside of sort of what we're seeing as normalcy. Right. What do you find are typically those those first aha moments for customers as they as they move to cloud. You know, what's the what's typically the thing that gives them the big bill that they go, oh my gosh, I wasn't ready for that, or I didn't fun. see it coming. This is the fun bit of our job. It's it's sometimes bittersweet to get um, to share in these experiences, but when you see them, it's always interesting. It's like hearing some war stories about right. business that failed. So so there's a couple of stages. The first two come when you sign up for accountability. Um, we've had companies sign up and find them in the middle of being compromised. One company was pre-revenue and it turned out they're one of the largest sites hosting anime in the world. Wow. And they, they've been compromised literally three days earlier. And they signed up and they would have been hundreds of thousands of dollars in the hole if they hadn't figured this out. Then the second stage is denial. So what, first one is shock, then is denial. Uh, we didn't spend that much last month. Your systems are wrong. And whenever that happens, we scramble a team, we have a set process, we pull out all the bills, we manually check them. And 99 times over 100, it's like, oh yeah, we did spend that much, wow. So getting all the costs into one place is really interesting experience for the customers. And then, um, um, and then they typically do things like, um, first stage of learning is, um, I, my program went wrong and I turned on a whole lot of stuff and I didn't know I turned it on. Like, uh, we had an order scaler run amok for one customer. Um, they kept seeing these alerts going, we can't start up any more servers. Account limits exceeded, which is what Amazon puts in to stop you from having massive overage. So they thought they'd been limited on the number of start-stop operations. So they just created another account, and they did this 12 times and ran a nearly $100,000 overage for the month. Wow. Yeah, and so the people who aren't getting the bill at the end of the month, until the end of the month, they don't know where it's going wrong. So once they've got over those basic problems, and there's more subtle ones. Another customer spent the summer doing some strong load testing um, did a very careful plan, this many hours, this type of computers, executed to the plan perfectly, the bill came in 25% too high. And it was because the team running the load tests were not turning off the servers at evenings and weekends. So if the test ran out at 3 o'clock in the morning, the servers were left on until they came in the next day. Yeah. So there's just lots of common sense stuff in here. But once the common sense stuff is done, then you know it's actually really hard to A, predict what you need, and B, right. So review what you did and say, what were my options? And that's the tool that we're building, is to take your historical data and you ran it with 10 M4X largest for three months. Would it have been better if you'd used 20 um, or 50 M1 smalls? Gotcha, gotcha. So no, that, that makes we've sense. We've got to build those tools to help people really interactively make those mistakes in a virtual world and then figure out the optimum for them. Right. So you, you just mentioned that uh, you know, you, you're, you're looking... To a certain extent, at, at historical data. So, you know, what have they done? Either you know, some period of time, and and, and what about um, 
Amazon recently came out with some price changes, and, and one of the things that a lot of people noticed were, um, you know, they're they got very aggressive about encouraging people to use reserved instances, right? So in essence, um, this idea that it's not just about, you know, I need a, a machine for four hours. It's, you know, you should think about trying to encourage people to run their applications there on, a, on an ongoing basis. Um, you know, some of that gets into some interesting financial modeling, right? You're basically buying futures. How, how much are you seeing your customers saying, hey, now that I have um, this tool in place, this system in place to help me with cost, to start thinking about, okay, now how do I start making better future decisions, right? Because you said it's hard to predict, you know, what the future might look like. Right. So, um, first of all, the tools around managing reserved instances are awful right now. Even getting a list of reserved instances and an idea of their utilization is really hard. Okay. And, and, and the rules around reserved instances are really strange. I get why they are the way they are, but they can be very confusing. For example, if you buy one reserved instance and then turn a server on and off in the same hour, only the first one gets accrued to your reserved instance pricing. So it can be really confusing just getting the basics right. So we're helping our biggest customers understand that. The second part is, you're right, financial modeling. It's like, um, what's the right strategy? Do I buy lots of low use? Do I have a mix? Do I buy some high use? And, you know, the cloud kind of makes you a little bit lazy in that you don't, in a normal environment, in an on-premise environment, you have to make some decisions around this. Right. You cannot operate unless you optimize to some future state and you just have to live with the, the errors. With the cloud, you can just turn on what you need every day and it feels like you're optimizing, but you're not. And it's going to take a lot of work for people to find the right strategies for them. We totally, we have an optimizer tool in private beta. Um, we totally are helping, trying to help people to get there. And the third thing is we're seeing the emergence of services like Strategic Blue who are a cloud uh, instance broker that allow you to kind of reverse some of your mistakes. If you've bought too many, there's an opportunity to um, um, sell your instances back into that marketplace. And okay. so so um, um, it's going to be interesting. I think, as, as you said, there's going to be a lot of crossover from the financial world to make this easier. Like Southwest buys fuel futures. I think when you finally see the big companies spend all of their IT budget on the public cloud, there'll be that kind of market in, in place. Right, right, absolutely. Well, good. Um, I want to ask you one last question because, you know, we got started, you were talking about, uh, you know, kind of how the company got started, um, how timing was really important. Um, Cloudability was part of a couple of incubators, right, and one of them uh, being very visible with, with Techstars. Um, we have a lot of folks who are, you know, kind of in between, you know, they're, they're at some stage in their career, they've got some idea, they're not sure exactly how to go start something. Can you give folks just some sense of what it's like being in those those incubation programs, whether it was the one in Portland or Techstars or, you know, how, how helpful they are, how they, how they change your thinking? So, um, uh, sure. I mean, like, having an accelerator program uh, involved with your business, a good one, is like having an incredible co-founder. Okay. It's just unbelievably de risks your project. It makes it from you have one. In, it makes it from a fifty-fifty chance of failing to like a one in ten chance of failing. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if in ten years' time they kind of replace the MBA. It feels like I'm getting everything that I was told I would get from an MBA: a network of business contacts, some real-world training in how to do X or Y. And uh, for our business, both Pi and Techstars have just, you know, we're serial entrepreneurs. We thought we knew what we were doing. Uh, and um, we, we participated in these programs because we knew the people, we trusted them. But they have wildly exceeded our expectations. 
Um, just a tremendous experience. If you are thinking about doing a startup, um, go do it. Don't wait. Make the choice and the accelerator program. If you don't have a few hundred thousand dollars to get going, they're the best way to do this. Gotcha. Very cool. Very cool. Well, listen, Matt, uh, I'm going to wrap this up because you've got a business to run. Um, this has been fun. I've, I've learned a lot. Um, you know, I'll, I'll encourage folks. Um, we don't typically kind of try to make these into commercials, but since you do have a, an instance of, of cloudability that's that's free for a lifetime, right? At, yes. If you want to go, um, go play with it. Go play with it. Go sign up. Go try it out with your Amazon instances, with, with your cloud instances, and uh, uh, give Matt some feedback. And uh, Matt, thanks so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. It was fun talking to you. And uh, folks, we're out of time this week. Um, We've been doing the show for over a year now, and we want to thank everybody for listening. It's been a lot of fun for us. Uh, again, any feedback you want to provide us, you can get to it um, to the show at thecloudcast.net. You can obviously follow us on Twitter at thecloudcast.net, or you can reach us um, uh, on our YouTube channel now. Uh, you can find the details to the show on YouTube, uh, YouTube, iTunes, or Stitcher on the homepage. Thanks again for listening, and Matt, thanks again for coming on to the show. Thank you.